This is the Red Cliff Marketing Show. Get ready to boost your marketing skills, get more customers, and take your business to the next level. Check out the latest on the blog at redcliffmarketinglabs.com.au or subscribe on iTunes. Now, here's your host, Mick Cullen. G'day folks, it's Mick Cullen from Red Cliff Marketing Labs, back with you for another interview. And today I've got... Ryan Elson, from, is a, he's a commercial real estate agent and a small business coach living and working on the Redcliffe Peninsula. I'm just reading here from his LinkedIn bio. He's built a reputation for providing first-class service to owners and tenants of retail, commercial, and industrial premises. Ryan specializes in commercial real estate in Redcliffe, Clontarf, Kippering, Margate, Scarborough, and pretty much the whole Redcliffe Peninsula. This day-to-day contact with local market provides a heap of up-to-date knowledge, and we're going to get to uh, benefit from that and talk to Ryan today. So, Ryan, thanks very much for being able to join us. Thanks, Mick. Appreciate it, mate. All right, so you've done, you know, obviously a, a background in commercial uh, real estate, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of working on the on the uh, landlord's side of things. Yep. And what we're going to talk today is more so about the people who are actually going to be the business owner looking to be a tenant and uh, moving into possibly you know their first or their next uh, premise in that regard. Absolutely. So, yeah, if we can go through, what are some of the, the frustrations that business owners run into when they're looking at uh, leasing property? Well, as a new business owner, there's there's the first few months, if you like, of starting things off can be you know, pretty dangerous. They can they can make you or break you to a large degree early on, and just being a little unsure, a little naive, or, or you know not not familiar with the area or whatever can cause you a lot of problems. Bear in mind, you're signing up for three years, five years, whatever it might be. You've got a long time to, to put up with a mistake if you make it early. Uh, I mean, business owners, they're, they're concerned at the moment about, like, cash flow is always king. Yep. Like, you know, they're worried about getting the money coming through. They've got to pay their rent. They've got to pay their staff. I mean, rent and wages are, are the biggest problems that any small business has, that's for sure. Uh, they want to increase or maximise, sorry, their, their, you know, their customer flow through their business, be that in the shop front, which is primarily where I'm at, um, or whether it's just in their online trading or, or you know wherever their shop front is for them. It must be a knowledge thing too. Like most people will have rented you know residentially in, in their life at some stage, but there's you know there's a big difference between a, a rental property in terms of what's you know something you're going to live in with your family, uh, and then a a business lease as well. Like it seems like it's all real estate, but they're two completely different worlds. So. It must be a you know a bit of a, a learning curve initially too that makes it hard for people. Oh, they're they're a long way apart. I mean, just to give you what sort of a learning curve, I, I guess, and I hope understand, everyone understands what I'm talking about with this. But I came out of residential and did pretty well in residential, got a few lovely trophies and whatever, and was earning a good you know solid wage or solid pay. And um, my first year in commercial, I dropped down to forty grand max for the year, and which really hurt us. But I had to do an apprenticeship. It is so different than anything to do with residential. The best thing about commercial real estate for me is it's the Wild West. Yep. The worst thing for me about commercial real estate is it's the Wild West. Sure. Right. You know, there's no rules. Basically, if you can if you can get it agreed to and negotiated upon, and there's a signature involved there, that's it. You, you can make it work. Okay, and we'll dive into more details later on. But you know, there's things that if you don't, you know, just heaps of traps there. Like the fact that you then have to pay for you know, all the costs involved that property in many cases. I guess a lot of this is negotiable as well that you can take us through. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's not just the, the building, there's all the other bits and pieces that go in with it. What's the, and, and talking really generically, what would be the perfect solution that people are, you know, it's going to depend on if you're a 
a, uh, a retail business or a restaurant, things like that. But what are the, the common things that would tie together uh, a really good commercial lease? What you want to make sure with, you want to make sure that you're, okay, firstly, you don't want to be paying too much. Um, and we always work on per square metre. You'll hear us speak a lot about, well, that's, that's $300 a square metre, for instance. What that means is that for every square metre, you pay $300 per year as rent. So, you know, if it's 100 square metres, you know, $300 a square metre, you're paying 30 grand a year. Yep. So that's how that works. What you've got to look out for, though, is, and I don't want to jump ahead, but outgoings are a big deal in what we do. And a lot of people coming from residential to commercial don't understand what outgoings are. I, I get a lot of um, outgoings, oh, yeah, I'm, I know about those. It's my electricity and my water. And it's nothing to do with those at all. Sure. And out, outgoings are a fee on top of your rent. Now, what they cover generally is your uh, your rates, your council rates, so the owner's council rates, and your insurance, or if it's a body corporate situation, your body corporate. There can be land tax in them as well, there can be advertising fees, there can be gardening, and all these little bits and pieces as well. And I so often see people just see 100% outgoings, and they think, oh, I know what that is, and they just sign it off, and then they get these huge bills later on, so they're paying five, six, seven grand a year extra than they thought they would be because they didn't understand what it was. Okay. Uh, that worries me and concerns me often. Sure. Can you give us a couple of um, you know, case studies that just talk generically uh, about cases you've seen come up, good or bad, and then we'll dive into some of the you know, the details and talk people through what they need to, to think about. Yeah, I've got a couple that are sort of interesting, I guess, in, in different ways. Uh, a length of lease is very important. Uh, now, that may, depends on what you want out of your business and what you want out of your arrangements. For instance, I spoke to a lady recently who said she was going to lease a property and she said, I'm going to do six months because I want to see how it goes. And I said, don't do six months. I said, six months will be, you'll be turning around and it'll be over and then you have to renegotiate and you'll have all these things. So do a year minimum, try and go a bit further. Now, she didn't agree with that and she said, no, so she did her six months. She spent $15,000 on her fit out, uh, plumbing in uh, coffee machines and all these other bits and pieces. Uh, six months came around and she said, I'm going great. This is fun, went fantastic, I'm having a ball. Went to the owner and said, I'm going great. I'm really settled now, I'm happy. I'd like to renew my lease. And he said, sure, your rent's doubled. Ouch. And it, but that's that's the power she gave him by giving him a short a short lease. Yeah. Um, it's not, it doesn't it doesn't put you in good stead. You, you're going to have 12 months figuring out if your business is going already. She is now out of that place. She had to pull all of her equipment out of her because she couldn't afford the rent and he wouldn't reduce it. So that's hurt her a lot by making a simple mistake. Uh, we, uh, another big problem that we have a lot of is, is size. Um, I get people speaking all the time, particularly restaurants and retail areas and whatever, in regards to how big you want your property, you want your premises to be. They say they want it airy or they want it feeling open. Uh, why? Every square metre that you're leasing is A, costing you money, and B, needs to make you money. If you've just got empty space, you know, if you've got a... If, I know of someone, you were talking about stories, okay? There's a place um, that I leased about two years ago that was big. It was 350 square metres, and we leased it to some people on a cheap rent because it needed a lot of work, but they didn't need that much space. So they filled it now, and there's two problems with it. They're paying for every square metre, and they're not utilising it. And in addition, because it's so big, it looks empty. Yep. You can have 20 or 30 people dining in there, it looks like there's no one there. Whereas if you had, instead of 300 square metres, you had 100, people would be lined up at the door going, 
well, I want to get in. This is yeah, fantastic. A bit of a buzz this must be the place. Like full, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you go past, I mean, speaking locally, you've got um, a rustic olive down on the front there. You drive past that on a Tuesday and no one can get into it. And everyone goes, wow, that must be so great. I mean, it depends whether it is or not. It doesn't matter. That's well, the perception, perception of supply uh, and demand there, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the, that same building too, if I can just carry on for a second, Mick, they spent a lot of money on their fit out initially. Uh, it did need some work, that premises, but they overcapitalised, in my opinion. They would have been better off going to a smaller premises, paying a little more rent per square metre, but having a quality premises, put quality uh, uh, fit out in, and then have something that looks fantastic. I just think that was some naivety. And I mean, I did explain this to them, but they continued to go on and go forward. I think if they had someone in their corner a little more, because bear in mind, as an agent, I work for the landlord, they might have gone a lot better and, and been trading better than they are now. Okay, so let's dive into, uh, I guess, the, the main things people need to, to think through as a bit of structure. Mm-hmm. So, if, and that's where we're going to go through your little list here. Yep. Um, but yeah, so talk us through what are, the, what are the key, I guess, areas that they need to be thinking about. Look, I think the first thing that you need to establish is, is your selection of your premises. Now that, for me, is like, location, location is a word that everyone says in residential, and it works probably more so for commercial. Uh, you need to establish your signage, you need to, but you need to figure out what sort of business you are before you do that in reality. You need to figure out, are you a destination? Uh, are you, you know, do you rely on walk past traffic <coughs> or, or drive past traffic? What is your business? What do you, you need people to come and see you for? If you are somewhere that people have to go to because you provide them with a certain service, such as myself, I guess, then I don't need to be on a main road with heaps of signage. Um, residential real estate agencies are slightly different in that, but as a commercial agent or and as a business coach, I don't need to because my shop front is the internet. Yep. So I don't need to be waterfront and paying the biggest uh, rent I can in the area because I get to look over the ocean and that's more for someone that wants to sit down and have a cuppa or a few beers or a, a steak and wants the ambiance and the view. Because a lot of businesses, I just need someone, somewhere for employees to turn up to, to work and do Correct. their thing. So they're not interested in you know customers coming to the to the place, in which case it's probably then going to be a, a convenience and a, and a cost per square metre type consideration. Exactly right. I mean, you don't want to pay big money for somewhere that you don't require it to be. If you if you uh, needed, an, if you're happy in a back street because people know you and come to you, that's the best place you can be. Like your, your rent will be better, um, so therefore rent and wages, those two things that kill you, as I said, you've got that opportunity then to, to pay less for what you, you're getting for your bang for your buck. Also in those areas too, parking. I mean, do you need parking? Do you need access to public transport? Establish what you want out of your premises before you select your premises. Don't okay. don't just look at the pretty one and go, wow, I'd, I'd, that'd be so lovely to look over that water every day. Well, it's an expensive place <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Um, this, look, there's other issues too. The size I've already spoken about, so I won't go that again. Um, council requirements, but we can, yeah, that's that's more in-depth stuff there. But Okay, well, let's, let's dive. So we'll just run through the list yep. and then we'll, we'll dive into each one. So mm-hmm. next one I've got here is negotiation. Mm-hmm. It's those initial time periods are when you, like if you're on a three-year lease, as I was saying earlier, if you don't make some good decisions and get a good deal done for yourself then, which is not unreasonable but is safe for you, uh, you're going to be paying that f- for a long time. Yep. Uh, you've got to look at your, I'll go into it in a second, but your CPI increases, uh, you know, what sort of outgoings you're paying, is there, like, when you, you've got a market review coming up, how is that decided, um, do you have an option, 
the other bits and pieces. I find you know that probably the most daunting because it's one of those cases where you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. and if you're going into negotiation, then you know the real estate agent or the, the landlord is obviously probably probably in most cases done this you know before multiple times, and you're going in as a, a new business owner or, or fairly mm-hmm. cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it'd be a big trap. So then we've also got the um, the lease agreement itself, and then the preparation of the premise. So I guess you know you probably. You know, rent this thing as a shell. Yep. You've then got to do all the bits and pieces to get it up to the point where you can actually open the doors. Well, that, and that, that's yeah, that's a pretty that can be a very expensive part of your business as well. Uh, I've got trusted guys that I know because I'm not a builder, and I can easily say as an agent, you can say, "Oh, mate, it'll be fine. No worries. Won't cost you this way." Well, don't sign up before you find out because if you if you require a grease trap and it's a very difficult thing to put it in there because of the the base that your building is on or what what have you, then you're up for mega bucks. I mean, some of those things are 20 grand just to put a grease trap in. Like, if you're doing a, a little cafe sandwich shop that's a lot of dough just to do that. Yeah. You can also, there's discussions you can have with your lease agreement negotiation periods. We can discuss with the owner, he might spend some money putting that in there. You can negotiate some fit out with him, maybe for some increased rent or maybe just, you know, for an increased time period on you. Like, so there's a lot of, there's so many facets. Like, what you said before about, you know, that the agent or the owner has done this plenty of times. This is all agents do every day. Yeah. Like it's it's like it's like you're you're arguing with someone on, on a, a plane that you know nothing about. Even if you think you know something, like there's twists and turns that you didn't even thought of. I've heard it before. Like they call people call it the, you know the Christmas effect, and you know you do it once a year type thing. You know where you have to sit there and interview someone, and it's something you're not always interviewing people for. And you just can't be good at something that you do you know once a year, and in case it could be once every five years if you're doing five year leases. Uh, if you're listening to it so far, this is probably where you need to pull out your you know pen and paper because uh, we'll, we'll dive in here and there'll be heaps of stuff you've got to take away. So let's talk about we talked a little bit about selection of premise. We can come back to those bits and pieces. But let's go into negotiation and just run through and break down the areas inside a negotiation people should be thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first thing that everyone looks at is, is rent. And, and you get it when you say, okay, what, what, what have I got to rent this for? And you're given a figure. Well, that's fine. It's a figure, generally. It's, it's a, a, generally a landlord or an agent or, or both have, have put, plucked out a figure and said, right, that's what we're going to get for it. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, obviously, everything's negotiable. And if anyone doesn't have a go at negotiating a rent, well, once again, you're being a lot of naive. But there's other parts to it, too, that, that, that people that do it, as you say, the Christmas effect, don't understand. Sometimes you may be able to get something like, if we're asking $300 a square metre, we, the owner may want that to keep their rent rates up so that it keeps the value of their properties fine. But... You might end up, if you can negotiate, for instance, say three rent-free period, three months of rent-free, one every year in a three-year lease, that takes out three months of rent out of your entire lease there. That may bring your rent down to $250 a square metre in actual rent, in, yep. in real rent. But they get to keep the impression, I guess, that it's going for a higher... On, on paper, it says $300 a square metre. And, and that get, makes them happy, in all honesty, with their banks. I mean, I don't know the legalities of that, but it's the truth. That, that's how it works. Uh, so, that, I mean, that's one facet. You just do that then, and you've saved yourself some money. But if you don't do that and you don't know that's available, that you're spending money you don't need. Let's talk on, on that one, that, that rent-free period at the start of a lease. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, cash flow, we're going to talk you know, later on of you know, fit-out and, and pieces and things like that. Mm-hmm. But that rent-free section, if you can negotiate that, that's got to be a, a huge help in those early days of moving in and setting up. It is, it is huge. I mean, anyone who's paying 
for instance, okay, when you get your shop or, or your commercial premises or whatever, your fit-out is going to take some time there. If you're paying rent while you're doing that fit-out, that is dead money that, that is not helping you in any way, shape, or form. 90% of owners will give you rent-free period to do your fit-out, if nothing else, because they realise that they don't want any smart owner doesn't want to break you because the more money you make, the more, rent, more capacity you have to pay the rent. And that's important to them. I mean, there's always some owners that don't think that far ahead and there's bad owners out there and like, I try not to work for them, in all honesty, but they are there and you must be careful of that. But if there's opportunities there for that and it'll save you a stack of money. I mean, I worked out the other day, if you, if you save 50 bucks a week on a rent, okay, with CPI increases, which are only about 1.5% or whatever, they're quite low at the moment, over three years, calculate up, that's eight and a half grand you'll save just by 50 bucks a week. Yeah. That's a lot of dough for a little business. And if you're rolling back into you know Facebook, Facebook ads or something like that as well yep. and, and talk about compounding it. Absolutely. Um, lease links. So you spoke before the story that you know a six-month lease and recommending you know, maybe you know, get on your business situation, you know, at least go for 12 months and get things uh, you know, time to run. If you say you, know, you go for a longer lease, it might be your second lease and your business is growing and you go for say you know, a five year lease I don't know what, what sort of what would the average and it probably is no average but what sort of length of leases would if you went down the main street of Redcliffe or you know, through an industrial estate how long are people normally taking leases for? Look the most common one's three years uh, three years seems to be very comfortable with owners and banks because banks have a lot to do with this well, they, they will tell you what they'll accept and what they won't on valuations basically so you know that you don't want your money getting called up by the bank because you did a lease that wasn't something they liked, so they have to look at that sort of thing. You know, two years isn't uncommon. That's okay. Five years is pretty common. Anything outside those parameters is pretty unusual. Yeah. For a tenant, my recommendation is like twelve months minimum. I would suggest two years, not because of anything apart from the fact that you're not probably going to make any money in your first twelve months, and you need to understand that. If you're so nervous that you want to do six months, then maybe you need to sit down and have a think about whether you should be doing this or not. Yeah, with the war chest to, to kick off. And... Yeah, it's just a fact of life. You're If you're making money in your first 12 months, pat yourself on the back, because most people don't. But as like you need some longevity in there. Like There's a few reasons for it. One is you need time for your business to grow. You need people to, to recognise the fact that you're there, and you need to learn what you're doing there in your own business. Um, in, there's a very important part too that I want to get into now if I can, and that's options. And, and some people don't understand what options are, but I'll explain it briefly. If you take out a three-year lease initially, for instance, and you may see an option, uh, you may see something say a three by three by three lease that it's spoken of sometimes. What that means is the tenant have, has two opportunities at the end of the first years, three years, at the first three years. My apologies. He'll need to uh, do. He'll need to establish whether he wants to do another three years. If he has an option, the landlord has to negotiate with him first. So that gives a tenant some power that they wouldn't normally have. Yeah, sure. And, and for the, if it's a three by three by three, at the end of the second three years, they'll have that option as well to, to be the first to be negotiated with. Uh, I hate options for owners. Uh, when I'm working for owners, I tell owners not to do options, and the reason for that is it gives tenants a stack of power. They if they want to hold up proceedings and they want to, you know, if they want to go to court about a market review, because at the end of three years, what you generally work out what rent you want to have is you come to an agent like myself or a valuer who will go through all the rents in the area and decide what you should be paying or what you shouldn't. What's a fair thing? I've got one at the moment down in um, Sutton Street that's been going for two years now where they're arguing about it. The tenants 
have evidence to suggest that maybe they shouldn't be paying the rent that they are. The owners has has evidence to show that he should be they should be paying the rent that he thinks they should. So they're all going to court, spending big bucks at the moment, arguing over it. And the, the owner can't just get rid of them because they've yeah. got an option. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, <coughs> breaking the lease. So again, you know, you might be looking at a five-year lease. Um, you know, the, the stats for Australian businesses are that you know quite a lot fall over in that first five-year period. Mm-hmm. If you have to move, wind up, um, or otherwise break a lease, what's the sort of implications there? Yeah, it can be pretty tough. Um, Generally, a smart landlord, once again, I'm going to refer to smart landlords, but a smart landlord will give you the opportunity to, uh, to get and find another tenant. So a t- as a tenant, you would employ an agent such as myself to find someone who will take over that lease, either pay what you were paying or pay more than what you are paying, or in some cases, unfortunately, pay less than what you're paying and you, you have, have to cover the difference. You have to cover the difference for, difference for the remainder of your lease. Uh, it's not cheap. Uh, I mean, we charge anywhere from 10 to 15% of uh, the you know, first year's rent. So, you know, it's going to cost you nearly a couple of months' rent to get someone to do it, plus any advertising you need to do. It's, it's not a fun thing. Uh, if you're lucky and, and you're smart, you'll then have your lease cut. So if you find a new tenant, you won't just do a sublet to them. You'll you transfer out, the whole lease. And transfer the lease. Some owners won't do that because they want you dangling on the end of the, the rope. You know, yep. if something goes wrong with this new tenant, New tenant, excuse me. Then, they you know they want you responsible for paying the rent. Yeah. But try and get yourself out of it. But it's it's not a great situation to be in. But we do plenty of them. Okay, the lease agreement then. Uh, <coughs> again, residential seems so controlled at the at the state level. There's set forms. Uh, you know, there's a lot of detail and basically legislation around what you can actually sign up for as a as a residential lease. What's the situation with commercial? Do you start from a, a blank piece of paper and, and or, you know, is it, is it tightly regulated? How's that side of things? Okay, okay. with industrial, um, which are warehouses and factories and, and so on, uh, and commercial, which is basically office space, there's not a lot of rules, okay? And, and that's just a fact. There's not a, a, a active legislation that, that covers those things. Retail's different. There is a Retail um, Tenancies Act. Now, it's pretty complex. Um, it was primarily brought about... It, as far as I'm aware, due to uh, Westfields and, and, and bigger areas like that, that had a lot of power over these tenants. Uh, and a lot of these tenants would be naive and unsure. The big shopping centres are pretty smart and they, they know what they're doing to get what they need. And that was becoming quite dangerous and they were sending a lot of people broke and worse. So that, that legislation came about for that. That is reasonably tightly legislated, uh, not as tightly as, as uh, residential, and you are still in the pipe if you do the wrong thing or you can't pay your rent. Like It's not quite like resi, which is a little bit easier going. But in the end, you there's, oh, there's, there's different ways you have to look at the lease that you get prepared. You, there's two types of leases you can pretty much do. For under three years that's not retail, you can do a commercial tenancy agreement, which is a six-page document. I think it's six pages at the moment. We've just got a new one coming out. But... And, and it's basically two people saying that they agree to pay this much rent for this, or accept and agree and pay this much rent for this amount of time under these certain conditions. So they might mean, okay, we'll go in there for three years on this rent if you fix the lights, paint the premises and, and put in an air conditioner. Like for instance, that might be the case. Anything after three years, you can't use a commercial tenancy agreement. You have to use a lease. Uh, in a retail situation, you always have to use a retail um, act lease. And it's a, it's a, like that can be from 27 pages up to about 40 pages. They're generally prepared by a solicitor. 
they're a bit more heavy duty. Uh, they're, they're tougher to get out of, if you like. They're, they're sort of, you know, they're, they're pretty they're pretty strong as far as what you can require from them. But you need to know which way you want to go with that. A lot of um, owners will require a, a longer, a better lease if possible. Um, so there's two options there for that, but there's differences in them. And what's the gotchas? If you're a first-time person signing this lease document, what are the things, what are the areas and things you really need to pay attention to? Yeah, I've covered a little bit of them already, but, I mean, outgoings, you must know what your outgoings are. You need to get an idea of, from the agent or from the owner, what are you paying for? And, and they may be, if they just write on there, uh, yep, rates and insurance. So that may not be actually detailed in the nope. lease, but you'll still be up to them. Generally, they're not. Okay. Generally, there'll be a section that says outgoings, and it'll say 100%. Or if you share a premises, say there's three tenancies, it might be 33%. So there'll be a percentage-wise. And so many people just sign off on the back of that and go, okay, that's fine. If You're allowed to find out what you're paying for. So, for instance, if we bill you as a property management company, which we are as well, I, could, I will show people the rates. We'll show them a, a detailed uh, you know, invoice for the rates from the council. We'll say, okay, you're paying 33% of that. The, the total amount is this much. There's 33%. There's your bill on it. Um, same with your insurance. Um, same with your body corporate. You're entitled to know what that is. If you don't ask at the start, though, owners, and unscrupulous probably, but you know that's just how the world is in that direction, they might have... I've got some places that have um, substantial gardening fees, uh, industrial premises. There's no garden. Like, there's just not one there. But because they put a gardening fee in and you didn't ask what it was, well, you can fight it, but it's going to cost you money to do it. Yeah. So that, that's a big deal. You need to look into what that's doing there. You also need to look at, at your increases. Um, if you're on a three-year lease, for instance, every 12 months on the anniversary of a lease, your rent will go up. Now, it'll, it will generally go up by CPI. Some owners uh, have it at 3%, the flat rate, 5% I've seen. Some guys go CPI plus 3%. Like, yeah. You need to have a look at that and figure out how that's going to suit your business. Is there, is there any duty or obligation on the landlord or the agent to make sure that the tenant can actually you know, pay those costs? Or it, it's, it's sort of all you know, no, caveat or, or buy beware? Yeah, it's certainly buy beware, without yeah. doubt. But there are, uh, we do try and get um, referrals from old you know, owners, uh, from landlords sorry, that they've been with in the past, but some guys haven't got those. Either they haven't done a business for a long time. Or, or brand new business. Or they're yeah. brand new, so they're not available. And you know, your landlord at home saying that, oh no, they've been a great tenant, doesn't really help. Because yeah. paying 400 bucks a week to live in a place is a lot different than paying two grand a week to, to run a business out of. We also we get fairly solid deposits. Um, not, not huge a lot of the time, but in a retail tenancy situation, you'd be looking at three months deposit, three months rent uh, as a deposit. And that's held as a bond by the owner from the period of time. Bear in mind too that there is no residential tenancies association equivalent for commercial. Okay, the owner holds the bond. If the owner spends the bond, you need to be careful of that. Have a check before you get to the end of your lease what he's holding there and what you're going to be refunded. Okay. Is there anything else you want to really focus on on the lease agreement? Otherwise, we'll talk about the actual setting up in the the premise itself? Yeah, the only last thing probably is whether you should register your lease. Um, Commercial tenancy agreements, you can't register them. They they are registered with the mine, I think it's the mines department, I could be slightly wrong on that, sorry, but lands department or whatever the the governing body is. Now, there's no legislation that says you have to register a lease. Uh, And I don't know, what's the advantage or disadvantage? Does that give you a bit more... I rang and asked them and and they weren't real sure, to be (laughs) honest, which was interesting because I wasn't sure myself. 
Basically what it gives you is if you do have a dispute and you end up in court, uh, there is more weight given to your lease agreement that's been registered. You can say at this time, we, re we made this lease agreement between the two parties and we registered with the lands department so the lands department was aware of what agreement we had. Now, it becomes lands department evidence as much as anything else to say, okay, yes, we did receive this, here, here it is as it stands. Uh, it gives a little more weight to it. I don't think it costs heaps. I think it's 500 bucks to register it or something like that. I mean, which is enough. But I haven't particularly seen any massive advantages in it, but maybe I haven't seen enough arguments that went the whole way. Sure. And it probably, I guess, even <clears> if you did it yourself with a solicitor and, and got them just to certify and keep a record of it, it's probably only cost you about 500 bucks anyway. Yeah, and, and you're spot on. I mean, you know, solicitors love a good fee. So that that would be the case. So registering is probably not a bad thing to keep you, in, you, know, keep you safe. Okay, the time we've got left then, let's talk through, we've signed our lease document, they've given us the keys, we've got this empty premise that we're ready to go into, uh, you know, what are the steps, and I, I guess you're going to want to have all this planned out well in advance, so it's going to roll through like a, a you know, you get the keys, give the keys to the tradesman, and you know, a week later you walk in and open the doors type thing, but what, what's the steps involved, and, and again, what are the traps and the actual setup? You need to be planning this before you've signed off and given your deposit and done whatever, uh, don't, you know, when you've received the keys, as you said, if, uh, prior to that, you, you want to talk to a good fit-out guy. Or mm, see, I've got one in particular who's fantastic, and he's um. And there's a difference here. Like, you can just go and find out, you know, your local house builder, and he'll come in and do the shop. Or like, what, you can get that. Yep. But you'll get trouble because they don't, it's not their thing. It's not what they're, they're good at. Um, what I see a lot of people do as well. They think that uh, a project manager, which is what I'm talking about, timeline project services I use but there's a couple of others as well but they if you get a lot of different tradies in once again you don't know what you're doing like you generally haven't done this before and you don't know what stuff costs in addition to that and I'm not casting dispersions upon tradies but wow quotes change like you you'll get a quote in you'll employ them up for the job they'll tear your floor up and then ah oh, sorry it's 10 grand more because it's it's a different soil or, or whatever that case might be that's stuff you need to have a look at, and that's going to burn you big time. So you need to have a look at what you sort of feel that you want, and you need to speak to you, you, you guys who are going to do the job before you sign on the dotted line. You also need to have a talk to council. Now, council can be quite entertaining. Um, council are very good at not telling you anything and suggesting you put an application in. Application for material change of reuse is the biggest one. Uh, if that hasn't been... If the site that you're looking at hasn't had a business such as yours in it before, you need to look at zoning. You need to get, make sure that you're going to be uh, licensed or you know registered by council to be permitted to use that premises for that business. Uh, they're really good at asking for big fees for you to ask. Um, you need someone on your side that knows better than that and knows how to get around a couple of bits and pieces and, and find out what, what's available first and foremost. Then when you've got all those things sorted and you're right to go, you need to sit down with some good people. It depends on your sort of business. Okay, Look, Doing an office is not hard. You'll get guys to put in your, your, your aluminium windows, you, you put in some jute brick walls, you lay down some reasonable office carpet. Yeah, you go to a furniture store and buy an office desk and some chairs and things like that. What, what I find, like, you know, if I walk into a, a nice um, you know, cafe or a, you know, a fashion shop or something like that, is I can kind of look at the, the decor and the fit out and say... Yeah, you know, that's nice or, or things like that. But getting from that concrete floor, empty shop to something that looks nice, um, you know, I guess there's a lot of creative owners and that out there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, that would 
again, I'd struggle with many steps in this yeah. process, but walking in, having an empty shop, and then having it fitted out nice. Do the people who do the fit out sort of come to you with designs? Can or? do, yeah. yeah. Look, some people are good at doing their own, and that's excellent. I'm not great at that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm not. My wife's pretty good at that sort of stuff, but she's more imaginative than I am, I guess, as, as far as things go. But you just need to figure out what you're good at. If you are good and you have a vision and you can put it together and tr- and you know explain to somebody else who's going to do the job what you want, that's excellent. And you know, take some control of it. That's fine. If you get a good fit out guy or some good spa- a good trading, sorry or whatever, then you can talk to them about that, and that that's a good thing. Uh, if you can't get someone good to do it, like if you're in there for three years and you're spending fifteen, twenty grand on your fit out, well, spend a couple on getting someone to design it that knows what they're talking about. You'll save yourself money in the end. You just really will. You, you won't sit there looking at something and going, "Oh man, I so ruined that." Like, well, I think this comes back to the whole marketing session too, because that shop fit out can completely change the perception and the price point or whatever it is you're selling. You'd be selling sunnies, mm. and it could look like the you know, the, the, the chemist front part where they have a little section of the sunnies yep. or it could look like the, the fashion out there where you're going in and, you know, you're buying, yep, it's going to block the sun but it's more a, a fashion and a, a personality statement rather than being purely a, a piece of glass that fits on your face and, and blocks the sun. Absolutely, you're spot on. And it's, it's another bit about what, I, I don't know if I've said it before, but I like people that jump in the deep end. I mean, swim in the deep end, there's less people there. Like, you know, just have a go, get in there. But, do it properly the first time, and the the cheap you know the cheapest one is often the most expensive. If you know what I mean, like you know with with the guys that you use and plus the materials that you use and, and whatever. Uh, so look into that as well. Uh, don't I see some people on the other side of things just overspend. Like for a punter such as me, if you're just doing a, a, a cafe or as you say a clothes shop or some selling bags or something like that. Most people aren't going to notice the difference, have a big deal about the difference between laminex and marble, but your wallet will know about it. Sure. And, and, and things like that. Like, I know you've got your vision for your business, and I know it's fantastic. If in three years' time you're just making a killing and you're going great guns and you really wanted that marble bench top, then do that then. Like, you, you sort of know what you're about, but I see people overspend on small things that people aren't going to notice apart from them, which is important to them, I realise, but... You know, if if you're worried about your cash flow, you don't want to be repaying a thirty five thousand dollar loan to the bank for your fit out when you should have been paying a twenty grand one. Yep. It's going to hurt you. Well, if people in you know listening through this and then want to go away and take you know the next couple of steps, uh, you know you have like the eighty twenty type principle. So so what are the if what will be the top three things if that someone's looking at going through this process that if they spent time and attention on those would you know, cover a lot of the uh, the faults and sins that people would have. Yeah, look, I've probably been over a bit before and I'll go through them now. Like your position and your premises is very important. Position where it is and and, and what it is. Does it suit your type of business? Is there access? Is there is it easily viewed? Like those things are important. Your size of your premises is, is really important because you pay, we, we, we charge by the square metre and people, if you've got too much space and you're not using it, don't be paying retail um, square metered space for a big room that you store cardboard boxes in. If you don't need to do that, don't do that. They hurt you a lot. There's people there. Every square meter needs to be making you money. Uh, and if the third party is like, negotiate your lease well. Make sure that you've got everything in that lease that you know are going to work for you as best you can. Obviously, it's not always going to be perfect. There's two people in this. 
but don't have something there that you don't know about. Don't sign off on something you're not sure about because that could be the thing that hangs you. Just one thing that you didn't notice or you didn't read your lease through properly or you didn't understand you could get a better deal on it because you haven't done it much. Okay, so you've been listening. Obviously, Brian's been talking for a while now and all these bits and pieces that come out, again, I always say you don't know what you don't know, so you're coming into it cold. Uh, so you obviously do this for people. So you, they come to you, you take them through uh, from scratch, basically quiz them on all these bits and pieces, and then put that together and then represent them to a, a, uh, a landlord or an agent. So do you want to just talk quickly sort of you know, from the business back end, yep. what it is that you do for people? Okay. I, am a, I have been a commercial agent for 14 years. Uh, I have seen an area in the market that I'm talking about now, which there's a lot of good, decent people with great ideas uh, jumping into an area they know nothing about. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm kind of sick of people seeing people struggle because they weren't sure. You must remember that an agent works for a landlord. That's who pays the bill. You don't, as a tenant, you don't pay for the the agent's fees. Okay, the landlord does that, so therefore, the the agent will be working for him to get the best deal he can. On the other side of things, you've got solicitors, which a lot of people go to for assistance. But what you must remember with solicitors is that the more argument they create, the more they get paid. And you do find solicitors that just argue pointless uh, words on a contract at seventy bucks a phone call, and that that's something that concerns me as well. And you can get into a big hole with that. The reason I've started up SafetyNet is because I I want people to have somebody who they can speak to and have on their team that knows the, the industry, knows the pitfalls, um, knows where you can get into big trouble, knows a reasonable deal too. So it will tell you that, look, you're probably not doing too badly there. Don't, you know, don't fight the hard fight and lose it. Uh, but I want to do that not based on a commission either. I, want to, I do that based on a fee. The reason I don't want to do that on a commission is commissions force you to get a result no matter what. Uh, if if I, you know, if an agent tells you not to sign off on something, you must remember that they're, they're giving their, their pay away, basically. They're giving their mortgage repayment away because they do that. And it forces you into a situation where you need to get a deal done. In this situation with safety and business coaching, I want the opportunity for someone to know that for this fee, you will get me for this amount of time and I will guide you through all these pitfalls. I'm not a long-term business coach. I'm a short-term guy who wants yeah, to fix really the foundation. Specific, yep. specific sort of area. My know. niche is startup. Yep. Like I, want, I want you coming to me with an idea, with a premises. I don't, I don't really want to be going out there and looking for premises for people. Come to me with an idea and a premises and we'll make sure that you do it properly and you don't get stung at the back end. All right, Ryan, there's a heap of good stuff here. What's the easiest way for folks to you know, track down more information and, and get in contact with you? Uh, well, phone number is always a good one. So 04222 uh, I'm sure Mick will put that on, on someone yeah, as well. Yeah, we'll go on the website some details on right. it. And, and website? Yeah, um, safety, well, www.safetynetcoach.com and my email is ryan at safetynetcoach.com. Uh, sorry, just .com. Perfect. Well, Ryan, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for the time and sharing all that excellent information because, again, you know, it's a, a huge part of setting up the business before you even get to you know, worrying about trying to sell something. Uh, so, yeah, really appreciate your time. No, thank you, mate. I appreciate it and hopefully it helps somebody. You've been listening to the Redcliffe Marketing Show with Mick Cullen. If you're looking for more resources, tips and tricks and training workshops designed to boost your business marketing, then head to redcliffemarketinglabs.com.au. If you liked the show, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. Remember, action trumps everything else. 
take one idea from today, implement it in your business, and let us know the results. So go on, get out there, and do some marketing.